Uh, Let us move now to the reading and preaching of the word. Uh, The text that we're going to be in is Luke, Luke chapter 5. It's one of the synoptic gospels. Uh, Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 17 through 26. Uh, This might be a familiar text to most of us, especially if you grew up uh, in the church. But I just want to highlight a couple things before we read our text and then get into it. And we're going to take an approach of following through the story. So you'll hear the story, and then we're going to follow through the story to see who Jesus is. Um, A couple things that will appear to us here. In Luke's gospel, it is the first time that he uses the word faith. In Luke's gospel, the first time he uses the word faith. It's also the first time that he talks about Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. It is also the first time that the Pharisees are mentioned in Luke's gospel. There's a lot of firsts going on in this uh, short passage here that we have. Uh, They're in a crowded area. Uh, They're in a crowded room, a house. Jesus has been going about teaching regularly, and he's begun his ministry of healing regularly. And so this was... Somewhat commonplace, but not so common that there's no one there. This is a crowded house where they are hearing what Jesus is saying. And the problem that we're going to see, and we're going to try to see how Jesus addresses it, is that there is a man that needs to be healed. There's a man who is paralyzed. There's a man who is broken, and he needs to be healed. This is Luke 5, 17 through 26. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, would you illuminate our minds that we would know more of who you are in this passage. God, help us see, like those people witnessing this miracle, like the Pharisees trying to figure out what's going on, like the friends who bring their paralyzed friend, like the paralyzed man himself, let us see through this passage what you did so long ago to see more of who you are, your authority, who you claim to be, how it changes our lives. Let us grow from this passage. Everybody said, Amen. 
So there's a public park in St. Louis near my house where I grew up. Uh, This was not any park. This was a sculpture park. Now, I don't know if you love art or not. I don't know if you like to go to museums when you visit places. I particularly enjoy that sort of thing. And uh, this park, as a sculpture park, as a high schooler, was a little confusing because uh, a tree could just be a tree or it could be art. And what I thought was an old swimming pool that was empty and abandoned could have been an old empty swimming pool or it could have been art. And I didn't know this. My friends and I didn't know this. uh, And we were also just being disrespectful. But we're in this, what we think is not part of uh, the art. We think it's just part of the park. And we're throwing rocks, because that's what high school boys do. And we're throwing rocks as hard as we can, as far as we can. We're trying to make it kind of like roll around the swimming pool bowl. And this woman with a group of people appear, and she says, stop. All my friends stop, because they're the smart ones at this point in their life. Not me, not me. No, what do I say? I say, and who are you? Completely disrespectful. I say, what's your authority? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Who, who are you to say? I'm just throwing a rock. I can do this. It's a public park. She goes, I work here. I'm doing a tour. And I will call the rangers to come and, you know, make your life a little miserable for the moment. Okay, that's your authority. That's who you are. Uh, we all ask the same question of people. Maybe not externally and so rudely as I did, uh, but we do. Uh, we ask who people are. What's their authority? Uh, maybe you ask the same question in a less serious manner when you get an email or a letter that says, you've won $5,000, congratulations. And then you see who it's from and realize this is a, sp- this is a scam. I'm not going to send them any money. This is not in my benefit. Uh, some of the people in this house, the story that we just read, they're seeking to answer the question, of who is Jesus? A lot of firsts going on here. Who is Jesus? What is his authority? Some of the people there have heard about how he's been healing people, how he's been teaching with authority. Uh, Some of the people there uh, are seeking to see, is he a good rabbi? Is he a bad guy? The theologically sound people, the Pharisees and scribes, the teachers of the law, they're there. And it's very fascinating. They're sitting at the feet of Jesus here. In verse 17, As he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. This is a sign of submission to what another rabbi is saying. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that the Pharisees don't continue in this pattern. (laughs) As we get throughout the rest of Scripture, they are no longer going, what has Jesus got to say? I wonder what he has to give us about God. But this is what's going on. What will he teach us? What is he like? So one of these days, as he was teaching, uh, we can imagine what that crowded place would have been like. We're seeking the same question they are. Who is Jesus? What's his authority? The end of verse 17 gives us our first clue. Look with me at the end of verse 17. Everybody's there from all around. The end of verse 17 says this. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Before any healing even happens... We see from the gospel writer Luke that the Lord has given him power to heal. We know off the bat, as listeners of this gospel, that this is no ordinary rabbi. Now many of us, we become so accustomed to texts like this. And and when we read it, we already knew, oh, this is the one with the man and the mat, and he gets up and he walks away. It's amazing. It's one of the many stories 
Uh, maybe you watched VeggieTales or you showed it to your kids. And so you know this story too. The cucumber is lowered down and resurrected. Uh, but I want us to slow down here. Luke is showing us a lot of firsts, and he's showing us this, that we would know, that the people would know, that this is no ordinary man, but this is someone with authority to heal. And so we ask ourselves, even before we get to the rest of it, let's not skip too far ahead, it's hard not to do, do we believe that Jesus can heal? Do we really believe that? Does he have the power to? Does he have the authority to? Before we go any further, we're confronted with this detail by Luke. He's no ordinary teacher. Uh, Maybe you've witnessed this power of Jesus. And so the detail here is a comfort to you. This is how you know Jesus, that he heals. This is his heart. He has the power to do it. Uh, But maybe some of you have witnessed the abuse of God talkers. Uh, Part of the tradition that I grew up in, uh, it was not as stringent with what was taught and who taught. And so that's a little bit where I come from. I've witnessed some of the abuse of God talkers talking about the healing of God. So maybe as you see this, you hesitate. You slow down. Uh, maybe you know, you think beyond a shadow of a doubt that miracles just don't happen. Uh, and maybe you're here and you think this passage is just an, just an attempt to explain away a supernatural thing that they were just ignorant of. Or maybe uh, maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're not sure about your faith, and this is precisely the sort of thing, this is the precisely the sort of detail that you look at and say, this is why Christianity is irrelevant by and large. After all, if Jesus heals, why didn't he heal everyone? And if Jesus heals, why does he not heal everyone today? Well, contrary to what many of us think, or if our friends and family think those things, people long ago were more similar to us than we like to think. They're not slow or dumb. They don't think that uh, magical things happen underneath rocks and toads and uh, behind every corner. In fact, Luke begins his gospel explaining just how sincere and serious he is in his writing. In Luke 1, 1 through 4, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account of what has been taught. And so if you're sitting here and you're going, I just, I'm just not sure about those aspects of Jesus or even long ago, that thought comes up, maybe we can say that we can put that doubt aside for a moment and see that Luke knew what he was doing. Uh, Some of us are so comforted uh, with this passage, we're like the friends we see in this next passage in verses 18 through 19. We're so comforted that God has power to heal in verses 18 through 19 that this is the sort of thing we would like to believe ourselves to also do. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Uh, We know from other gospel accounts that there would have been four of these friends. Uh, But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Now this passage is wild. We've all heard it before, so it's hard to kind of shake off like, 
to think, well, we know what happens, we know what happens. Uh, what we're witnessing here is vandalism. <laughs> they go onto the roof, there's steps on the side of the house, they go up, there would have been a workspace on top of the house, and they begin to literally destroy the property of somebody else's house. Now, some of you have great faith, but I'm not sure any of us have ever had that sort of faith, where we knew if we could just get to Jesus, that he would heal us. But they did. They must have heard about him from his regular time of preaching and healing. And so they hear he's at this house. And they show, so they show up, and the parking lot's full. That dumb sign is there, you know, lot full. And so they oh, man, great. So they, they take their donkey around. They find a different place to park. They get closer. It's still packed, you know. People who have got way too much time on their hands apparently got their really early and safe seats, you know. But they're not that kind of people. Uh, they've just heard of this, and so they show up, and they have faith. They're seeking Jesus. This is what they want. And so the crowd would have been perplexed, would have been confused. I don't know if you've ever had an event at your house or children running, running around at small group or community group or that sort of thing, but stuff breaks. Imagine... Imagine, you're trying to be spiritual, you're hosting a Bible study, and the roof is coming through. What is your response? (laughs) This is a mess, this is real life. But the man is lowered down in the midst before Jesus, and so we're all thinking, okay, here comes the miracle. They're thinking that. This is what Jesus does. This is like his shtick. Uh, When he began his ministry, he says, the power of the Lord is upon me. He defeats the temptation of the devil in the wilderness, and he begins proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, and healing people. Everyone is expecting a healing. And then we read verse 20. So when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. No. He says to the man, Your sins are forgiven. We've heard this so much that it doesn't stick out to us as strange or perplexing or odd. How strange. If a man had just fallen through your ceiling and you're trying to be spiritual, among all the things you would think to say would not be your sins are forgiven. You would say, can I help you? You would say, did the door not work? You would not say, okay, whoever is leading this Bible study, what does this person really need? What is the unperceived need of this man in front of us? But that's what happens, and we're perplexed, or at least we ought to be, and so were they. Uh, There was a time where I wanted uh, some fried chicken. Uh, We've all experienced that, maybe. Um, And so we go to one of the Stacks original restaurants, and I see... uh, I I see chicken fried steak on the menu. Now, I know that I don't like country fried steak. No offense, but I know that I don't like that. So they're right next to each other, and I go, I don't want country fried steak. I do want chicken fried steak because I'm thinking it's just fried chicken because I don't know how to read like that. So I order it. I mean, I'm so excited. You would have think I had nothing else going on in my life. Uh, Caitlin sees the disappointment on on my face. It's not fried chicken. Sorely disappointed. Imagine the friend who carried him in. Now, in this time, there's no help if you are disabled in any way. There's no government order that says you have to have a ramp up to 
your roof. Uh, There's nothing that says this person deserves equal opportunity employment. None of these things exist. There's also not a heart of compassion for people who have any sort of disability. What did they have instead? Well, in that time, if you had any kind of disability, it meant invariably, whether people said it to your face or not, that you had sinned, that you had done wrong. Uh, Many of us think, well, we would never think that, but we do. Maybe not with everyone who's uh, outwardly disabled in some way, but when something goes wrong in someone's life, think of the family member who you think is always making a poor decision or something goes wrong in their life. What's the first thought that you have? Well, what did you do? What did you do? We are just like these people here. And so that's what they would have thought. They're disappointed. As a child, I hated getting clothes gifted to me for Christmas. Uh, I forget what the main character's name is, but in a Christmas story, uh, the main character thinks, I think it's a Christmas story, the main character thinks that he's going to get a BB gun. And what does he get instead? A bunny costume that his aunt has made for him. He's not excited at all. He's very upset. Uh, So we, too, have what we think are perceived needs, but there are unperceived needs, just like the people in this text. Uh, I didn't think that I needed clothes as a child, But we all know, in case you look around, we all need clothes. I thought all I needed was Legos, bigger sets. That'll take care of my needs. As an adult, you find your perceived needs maybe in a job that you like. Maybe you find your perceived needs in kids that you're proud of. Maybe you find your perceived needs in a reputation that you admire. If I have this, if God would heal this aspect of my life, if he would give me this... I would be made whole. But what are the unperceived needs that matter more than this? Do you have friends who know you? Not just people who you hang out with and watch the game with, but friends who know you? Are you at peace with God? A higher salary will not give you the thing you think you most need. Are you at peace with God? Is your conscience clear? These are not the things that we perceive to be our needs, but they are. Uh, If you know what loneliness feels like, and all of us at some point have, then you know exactly what this perceived versus unperceived needs is like. Uh, You know what it's like to see the person who looks like they have it all together. they got all the friends. They're very popular. And as we all know, it's usually that person that is the most lonely. Uh, And so what we see here from the love of Christ, if we're unsure about his love here, is that he knows what the unperceived needs are. He knows what no one else sees. This man comes down, he's paralyzed. His friends know, his community knows, everybody knows. And what happens? His sins are forgiven because that's the thing that will actually get him. There's a pastor named Brian Habig. He describes it like this. The unperceived need is like carbon monoxide. Uh, if you, you don't see it, you don't smell it. That's why we have carbon monoxide detectors. If you don't have some, this is your friendly reminder. Go install those. Check the batteries at your house. Um, but we have those detectors because we don't sense it. They're unperceived. We don't see it. And yet people, sadly, die from carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, Our sins are like that. Our sin is the unperceived need that we need most desperately to be healed 
of. Uh, some of you maybe, uh, when you think of the perceived needs, you think Jesus must have overlooked you. Uh, you think of the needs that you truly have, and you think, uh, surely God has forgotten me. Uh, maybe you look at where you are in your life, and you think, God has blessed that person. If I had just made that choice, married that person, gone to this school, moved to this place, I would have what I need. Has God overlooked me? And maybe you know, you've grown bitter over seeing the healing that has happened in other people's lives. And you wonder, why not you? I say, if that is you, to return to Jesus, not to what he gives or what you think that he gives. Like the man and his friends, just go to him. Just try. Don't try to clean yourself up first. Just head towards him. Jesus sees the faith of these people. Before they've really done anything, he just he sees it. They're trying. And he sees it. And he forgives them. Uh, some of you, maybe, you find yourself thinking that the choices of Jesus might have even been disrespectful. Uh, you might even think, this is like going to a restaurant and taking one of those tracks that says $100 on it, and it's got the gospel in the back, and not leaving a real monetary tip because you go, well, this is much better. Maybe that's part of the suspicion that creeps up in your mind as you see this text. But is it possible that Jesus sees the bigger picture? He knows what this man truly needs. And if that's true, then how can we decide on behalf of this man that what he doesn't need is forgiveness? After all, in that time, to be ill meant that you had sinned in some way. And so forgiveness here is the greatest possible miracle that he can receive. Why? Because he has been vindicated once and for all in front of all of his community and his friends and his family that it's not because of some secret sin or some terrible thing that my parents have done that I'm paralyzed. Christ has vindicated him. Uh, but, the Pharisee, but the Pharisees, we've forgotten about them. The God talkers, they're also watching this, right? They're also in the crowded space. Uh, and they're the theological remnant of the day. We give Pharisees a really bad rap, which is in some sense fair. But the Pharisees were like the popular Bible teachers at the time because they believed two things. We are God's chosen people and he's given us his law. Therefore, we ought to obey his law to show that we are his chosen people. We would all agree with this today. But they're sitting there and they're trying to figure out, will Jesus pass how we view what he should or shouldn't do? Who will Jesus, our big question, who will Jesus prove himself to be to the Pharisees? Let's look in verses 21 through 26. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, so now he doesn't even talk to the Pharisees. He looks back to the man who was paralyzed, who maybe himself is wondering, did I want my sins forgiven or did I want to be healed? And he says, rise, pick up your bed and go home. 25. And immediately he rose up. He obeys. Before them, picked up what he had been laying on and he went home, doing what our Westminster uh, Confession teaches us glorifying God 
Isn't that so great? He knew the right answer, right? More than the Pharisees, he knew the right thing to do. Uh, When we see this text, uh, we might be still jumping ahead to just hearing it as something that happened. So hear this story to help us take a back seat once more to see the profoundness of what Luke is describing here. Uh, I work in youth ministry, and so I'll be counseling students and parents most regularly. And imagine if you maybe as a parent, you maybe as a child say, uh, I've got this thing going on in my life. My parent has offended me. My friend has offended me. And I'm upset. I've been sinned against. And imagine that I'm talking with you and I say, don't worry, I forgive them. You would be upset. (laughs) You would go, I'm sorry, why are we having this conversation? I don't think you understood what just happened here. Like, he called me an idiot or they're restricting how I want to live my life. It doesn't work like that. We don't forgive the sins of people who have not offended us. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Because Jesus is God. David in the Psalms says that it is against you, O Lord, that I have sinned in all my sin. Uh, David was responsible for the murder of a man. David was responsible for adultery. David was responsible for great sin. And yet he wasn't saying, oh, those things didn't happen to real people. What he's saying is the true person who I've offended is God himself. Authority on earth to forgive sins. That is what Jesus has. The Pharisees are responding to this healing with fear. As opposed to the faith of the friends and the paralyzed man, they're responding in fear. They say, only God can do that. You're not supposed to be doing that. Instead, they're responding in fear. We got that point. Uh, But Jesus knows this. So he says in verse 24, if you'll look with me, that you may know that the Son of Man, his favorite way to refer to himself as the second person of the Trinity, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He heals this man. He says, rise and walk. Jesus answers the question that they have all been wondering as they're gathered around to witness this new rabbi, this new healer, that we also most deeply deeply want to know. Who is Jesus? What is his authority? Is he truly good? Is he bad? Is he theologically sound? Is he a healer? Is he God? Verse 25 gives us the answer. The man left immediately obeying God, glorifying him. Our catechism says, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We see this happening right here. Uh, The man is not confused about what has happened. Do you notice that? Everyone else might be a little bit. But the man is not. He knows what has just happened. Do you know that Jesus heals? Do you know what it is when your sins are forgiven? When he sees any muster of faith that you have? That he accepts you and cleanses you up? That he forgives you. Uh, Jesus here is the good healer. He's the good teacher. Uh, Healing, though, is not heaven. Everyone who is healed in the New Testament one day died. Most famously, the story of Lazarus in John 11. 
Uh, he's resurrected from the dead. And what happens after Lazarus is resurrected from the dead? A small mob is formed to kill him. So they can extinguish any story, any witness of Jesus' power to heal. So healing is not heaven. Uh, we will all die on this earth at some point unless Christ returns before him. And so what do we truly need? What did that man truly need when he got towards the end of his life? Did he need the perceived need healed? Certainly it was good, but it only pointed to the authority Jesus had to forgive sins. As that man got older, and many of you can attest to this, it wasn't that one-off thing that he thought he needed, but it was the cleansing of his sins. It was knowing that God had forgiven him. It was knowing that the blood of Christ had atoned for all the foolish things, like we said in our confession, that we had left undone and that we ought not to have done. Jesus is the Son of Man, his favorite descriptor for who he is. And he alone has authority to forgive sin. Uh, As we conclude, uh, I want us to think about this. Uh, Some of us know this truth about healing, about faith in Jesus. That he alone can do all these things. But all of us need to remember that even though the man did this amazing thing, this is not like a recipe for forgiveness. <laughs> you don't have to uh, tear apart someone's property to prove to Jesus that you're serious. Uh, you don't have to band together with every single person. And you don't, you don't have to rush off to a conference. You don't have to go where it looks like the big crowd is for Jesus to heal you. No. We need to remember that Jesus... Jesus so perfectly sees exactly what it is that we need, and he heals. There's all sorts of things broken in this world, broken in us. Uh, We all have ailments. I'm too young to be saying I have back issues, but I have back issues, and they annoy me. We all have things that we would like to be healed of. The promise is that one day all these things will be completely healed, that all the pain and the frustration will be fixed. And it's not a return to Eden but it's moving to the new heavens and the new earth where there's no more tears in Revelation 22. There's no more weeping. But what we need to start that whole process, it's the unperceived need. It's the carbon monoxide of our life. It's sin. And so if you haven't or you've forgotten or you've been trying to clean yourself up first, go to Christ. Look to him. He sees what it is that you need and he forgives. He heals. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you heal. We thank you that you have the authority to heal. Lord, you didn't have to do the things that you did, and yet out of your love you have for us. So God, we ask that you would work in our hearts. Lord, the parts of our hearts that we don't want you to heal, the sin that we've held on to, Lord, the bitterness towards others, Lord, the ways that we're like the Pharisees and we say, who is this that forgives sins when we look at someone's suffering in life and and we judge other people? We assume we know why their life is in trouble and we write them off. Let us not be like that, Lord, but let us have compassion like you have had compassion on us, God. Jesus, help us.